today on It's Time. With things that seem to be impossible, but if it's God's will for our lives, we pray and God does those things. And I go, wow, God, that's pretty awesome. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So, follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Acts 20. Acts chapter 20 is a continuation of chapter 19, and so we're going to get into that tonight. Well, chapter 20, verse 1 says, and after the uproar had ceased. What uproar was that? Well, it was the ones that Demetrius the silversmith caused when he realized that everybody was turning to Christ. Nobody wanted his dumb idols anymore that were made with men's hands. And so he got his, so to speak, um fellow craftsmen together, and they drug him and his friends down into court trying to somehow stop them from doing that. Well, the magistrate refused to hear it, and so uh, Paul then and his friends continue on ministering. And so it says, after the uproar seat, Paul called the disciples to him, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And when they had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed there three months. And when he, when the Jews plotted against him, he was about to sail to Syria and he decided to return through Macedonia. Now we talked a little bit about this last week. And the reason why it was because Paul realizing that there was a death threat against him. Uh, This thing that happened in Ephesus, by this time we know the Jews, now the Gentiles, there were starting to be a lot of enemies concerning those that preached the gospel. You have those that the gospel was encroaching upon their business, and you find that turning to the true and living God was not something that people in idolatry wanted to hear. Nor the people that were into Judaism wanted to hear that Jesus was the Messiah. So uh, Paul now has quite a few enemies. And so rather, uh, and I think this is important than just saying, well, God's anointing and blessing is upon me. I'm going to continue to do what I do. Paul took wisdom and returned back to, you might say, the same way that he came. Well, looking at that, I think that's wisdom that we can apply to our own life. I think, uh, yes, God sometimes supernaturally, divinely protects us. He does. And sometimes God expects us to use the common sense that he's given us by the Holy Spirit to walk in his spirit that way so that we don't tempt fate, you might say. Now, so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Some people ask, why did this happen? And I believe it was to protect Paul because of the death threats that were made upon him. And so rather than going alone, he went with somebody else. The Bible says a 2-4 cord is not easily broken. And so uh, we remember Jesus sent the disciples out, the 
uh, 70 out two by two. And so I believe it's an important part of our sometimes Christianity, not only to have someone that we can rely on that's there with us, that has a common sharing vision of what we do. So it's good to have a ministry buddy, you might say. It's always important. And so it says that uh, Sophiter went with him, also Archistarchus and Segundus of the, Thessalon- of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, Tychius, and Tremopolis of Asia. Now, some people wonder if this Gaius is the same one that was in Corinth. It appears that uh, it probably isn't, but some say it is. It just simply speaks that uh, he was living in Corinth at the time when Paul was there, opened his home up to him, gave him a base to work from. So whether it's the same one or not, we don't really know. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi in the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. So we find Luke now being part of this. He was the one that penned the book of Acts. And so he's able now to give us a almost a play day by day of their itinerary of what was going on. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, whoa, now we might just miss that if we weren't reading carefully. On the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. They're not talking about having lunch. They're talking about breaking bread, as we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when they would come together, they would break bread in the way that Jesus broke bread in communion. As often as you do this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So it's very clear here, long before oftentimes some of these people that say you have to worship on Saturday and that Constantine changed that, the reality is the early church was, in fact, meeting on Sunday. Now, we know that the Sabbath is Saturday. Always was, always will be. But you might say that Sunday is the Christian's Sabbath in commemoration of Jesus rising from the dead and commemoration of the Holy Spirit imparted to the believers. That happened 50 days after Passover, which was on a Saturday. And so 50 days later, 49 days later, would be another Sunday, um, seven days in a week. And you have seven times seven is 49. Well, being it was 50 or Penta, we find then that the Holy Spirit came on a Sunday. So if you uh, want to mark this in your Bible, where the early church met on Sunday, here's a great place to do it. It very clearly says on the first day of the week. Uh, the reason why I think this is important, it really doesn't matter what day of the week you worship God on. As a matter of fact, we get to worship God every day. I'm glad we're not limited to just one. But somebody to say that they're more spiritual than you are because they worship on a particular day over the day you worship on, they're simply not reading the scripture. Uh, we're saved because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, not because I worship on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday or any other day. It's a great opportunity that God gives all of us to fellowship with the saints, whatever day that might be. And if you're in the law enforcement or you're in the medical field, Your Sabbath, your day of rest, you might say, may be a Tuesday or a Thursday. But for somebody to come along and say, well, to worship on Sunday is the mark of the beast, or if you don't worship on Saturday, you're going to hell. Anybody that talks like that simply does not know the Bible, and you got to really steer clear of them because, again, I go to heaven, you go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross, not because I worship on any particular day. 
every day we know is the Lord's. And the Bible says someday, some people value one day greater than another day. Well, that's okay. They can do that. Just don't condemn those that do. So if you like to worship on Saturday, praise God. That's great. And if you like to worship on Sunday too, praise God. That's great. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, all those are great. I remember a guy that I met over in Tonga. Um, and um, Manford is his name. Manford was a seven-day Adventist. Um, sweet man, love God. But the, the church that he was a part of commissioned them to worship on Saturday. Well, um, being legalistic in certain groups of the seven-day Adventists, uh, because the international dateline was right next to Tonga, uh, it is it is three hours earlier, four hours earlier there, but it's tomorrow already. So when the king said, Sunday is the day that we will set aside to worship God because the king is a Christian, uh, Saturday worship was a problem for him. So I said, well, how do you get around that? And he said, well... Our head office is in America, and it's Sunday there, so we're all right, uh, uh, because it's Saturday. So uh, he had it worked out somehow, and then he stopped and he looked at me, and he says, you know, really, I don't know which day it is, so I take both off. <laughs> I like that. So understanding, it's not the day, friends, it's, it's that do you, and do you take that time. And so people that like to worship on Saturday, praise God for them, that's great. Just don't condemn those that worship on another day. Well, it very clearly here in verse 7, Now on the first day of the week, which has always been Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread or to have communion, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now you think sometimes I might have a long sermon and I go over a little bit. Well, I've not yet ever gone to midnight. But understanding that Paul realized he did not what waited him in Jerusalem. He wanted to get as much information into their hands that he could. And of course, today we have radio and CDs and tapes and, and uh, iPods and all kinds of other sources of information and books, even in Bibles. They didn't have those luxuries back then. So Paul then tried to put as much of himself in them as he could while he was there. And so this shows, you might say, a real commitment on Paul's behalf to inconvenience himself because he had a big uh, day the next day. He had to travel. And so rather than saying, well, you guys, I got a big day tomorrow. I'm turning in at eight o'clock. He's preaching a sermon. And notice it says, and there was a lot of lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Uh, Paul preaching long, being in the upper room. Uh, by the way, it's a third-story building they're in. We find that here. Um, and no doubt it's probably very warm. I don't know if you've ever been upstairs in a three-story or two-story house. Usually the upstairs or being up in the attic is hotter than any place else because the heat rises. Plus, you add all these many lamps that are burning. I imagine it was pretty warm up there. And so there were those that were kind of hanging out by the windows a little bit. Well... In the window sat a certain young man named Ichthyus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Um, well, God's word brings peace, so <laughs> Ichthyus is listening to Paul's sermon, and he falls asleep. Now, the Bible says he was a young man. We don't know how old he was, whether he was, we're speaking of somebody 13 here or 21 compared to the others that were in the room. But whatever room it was, it says he was falling into a deep sleep. He didn't, he didn't need um, sleepies or anything like that. 
And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Whoa, snooze, you lose, big time. I mean, the guy falls asleep in Paul's sermon, and then he loses his balance in his deep sleep, and he falls out of the window. Um, that's really amazing uh, that all this happened. There's some discussion on why this happened, and, and you think about it for a minute. Did the devil allow this to happen to disrupt the service? Or did God allow it to happen to remind us that we need to give great heed to the Word of God lest we sleep and we lose and we fall out windows? (laughs) I don't know what the answer is on that. I know that whatever the devil would have intended for our harm, God makes it for our good. And I do believe there's lessons to be learned in the Scripture concerning the Word of God that's being taught. Now, it tells us, But Paul went down and fell on him. Now, that means literally he covered him over. We've been looking at the ministry right now of Elijah as he ministers in the northern ten tribes of Israel. And we remember that as he went north because of Ahab's rebellion towards God, and he sojourned in the land of the Sidonians up to the north, there was a widow woman there whom he uh, had... uh, God used him in many ways to provide miracles and uh, the uh, pot of flour that didn't run dry, the jar of oil that didn't run out. Well, then right after that, her son gets sick and dies. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's weird because the Bible says that Elijah went up and laid on him. He put his body on his body and asked for God's spirit to return to him. We talked about the significance of that, especially for people that believe in what's called soul sleep. That means when you die, your soul stays with your body until resurrection day or the rapture or whatever it might be uh, there in their mentality. Uh, Very clearly, we find that Elijah asked God to return his soul back to him. So that kind of shoots apart the idea of soul sleep. So it's important that you know how to defend your faith. First Kings uh, will give you that, uh, that foundation. Well, here we find Paul hugging him or laying on him as well uh, for this. Fell on him, embraced him, and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, we remember, as we studied uh, a week or two ago, that God wrought many strange miracles at the hand of Paul, insomuch that even his handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from his body, and the Bible says people were healed, and demons left people because of that. I wonder that what the other unusual miracles that Paul was doing um, that the Bible speaks of there. Um, I find nowhere in the Bible that aprons were used to heal people. Now we remember the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She was healed. But the Bible says that the claws were actually taken from Paul and laid on people and demons went out of them and they were healed. So the miraculous power of God that kind of sometimes colors a little bit outside of the line. Yeah, that's the power of God. As we talked about this, we want to be careful about putting God in a box. And so people say, well, the word of God is what we're limited to. I agree 100%. And Jesus asked the question one time, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? To do good on the Sabbath or not to do good on the Sabbath? 
And of course, we know that Jesus then healed on the Sabbath day. Well, understanding how God does things, and God is limited to his word, but yet at the same time, how God manifests that is different, I believe, in different situations. Whether it was when Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, and put it on the guy who had no sight, and all of a sudden he gets his sight back, or he looked at another guy and simply spoke, and his sight came back to him. So we have mud in the eye and no mud in the eye. What does that tell you? Is Jesus saying, wow, watch me do tricks with mud? Or is he saying, don't put me in a box? I believe that uh, creativity is at the very root of the heart of God. I believe creativity is very much at the root of the heart of God. You look at God created the heavens and the earth. You look at the creativity. You look at the giraffe, an anomaly for, of course, the evolutionists. What's even worse for the evolutionists is the platypus. Talk about a creative God. This thing is weird. Uh, it's got claws, but it lays eggs. It has a bill. It, it, it's, it's a very strange animal. You say, why is that important? If evolution was true, they don't know what it, where it came from. There's nothing that resembles it. And I think God put those things out there just to blow, so to speak, these evolutionist thoughts and these theories that these guys come up with because of God's creativity. Look at you. You're a a, a statement of God's creativity. Do you realize that of all the people that have ever lived on this earth, no one has ever been like you before and there'll never be anybody like you ever again? And yet we all have two ears, a nose, a mouth, and a couple eyes, some hair, and all. You think about that. God's creativity. How is it that, that with just these few body parts, everybody looks different? I'm still amazed by that as I look at that. And then when you have kids, oh, watch out. Because it's like God, when he builds kids, goes through all your relatives and says, oh, Uncle Fred's nose. (laughs) You get that. Aunt Sally's hair. Oh, you get that. Yeah, this is from your dad. He looks pretty good. We'll put that there. And so you'll find traits in your kids that you see in your relatives. Only God could do that. Think of the creativity of God. And then God gives us, because we're created in the image of God, that ability to create as well. And I look at some of the creations that man has made. Now, yeah, there's some that we shouldn't be too proud of, but there are some that, to me, are absolutely astounding what people can do. Jesus said, with faith, you can move mountains. And you think about that, and you say, well, that's really a a nice thought. But you know, the person that is into contracting says, I want this side of this mountain removed as we build a hospital up against the side of a hill. And it's done. With faith, you in fact can move mountains. And understanding how God does things in our own lives with things that seem to be impossible, but if it's God's will purpose for our lives, we pray and God does those things. And I go, wow, God, that's pretty awesome. You are a creative God. God wants to reach this world. How do you think he does it? 
Well, God does it different in every situation. Now, we've talked a little bit about sometimes some of the different creative ways. Uh, uh, Jim Tetlow was talking uh, about how this one guy uh, flew kites. He, he really liked kites, and he was into kites. And so he runs up kites over the city of Chicago with lights on them. Well, people all wondering if they're UFOs or whatever, they all start amassing where these things are at. And so when they all come, he starts handing out God of Wonders to people. You go, that's creative. I like it. Then we talked a little bit about the guy who gets the hearse and goes to the park and unloads the casket, sets it on the table, bids people around the park to come and look inside. When they look inside, they see a mirror inside the casket. Then gives them a track. Without Jesus, you're dead. I like it. Another guy goes into a shopping mall, lays down. Right before the paramedics come, a crowd gathers. He rolls over on the floor and says, you know, I was just laying here thinking about Jesus. And you know, Jesus got out of the tomb and out of the grave, just like I'm getting up off this floor. And the people are so dumbfounded and they listen to him share. They, (laughs) wow. Creativity. You think about different ways that God would use you. It doesn't have to be necessarily bizarro. It can be whatever, how God uses us in creativity. And so whether it's Jesus using mud or no mud, whether it's God using Paul to embrace this guy and his spirit, his life comes back into him, whether it was Jesus coming out of the town of Nain and and this widow woman's son had died, There was a funeral procession with her. We talked about this Sunday morning. And Jesus and his crowd met. These two crowds met. And the Bible says that Jesus opened the coffin. And the guy gets out. Wow. That's the power of God. That's the God that heals. And that's the God of creativity that we serve. So, now when he'd come to him, and had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. Wow. <laughs> so, this guy falls out of a window. Paul embraces him, lays on him, holds him. His life comes back in him. Then, the Bible here tells us in verse 11, now when he had come up, come up where? Come back up to the third story where they originally started. Broken bread, had communion with them. And eaten, very clear, two separate events. They broken bread, they had communion, and then they had a, uh, they had a fellowship dinner. That's what we do the first Sunday of every month here. We have communion, and then afterwards we go across the hall and we have a dinner together. You say, Mike, where did you get that in the Bible? Right here. In fact, it's in other places too, but right here primarily. Then talk for a long while. We get that from here too. <laughs> we like that. We we enjoy fellowship. It's a great part of our Christianity. Talked a long while, even till daybreak. Have you ever fellowship with Christians till the sun came up? I have at Denny's in Southern California. It's neat. Just staying up all night talking about Jesus. It's really great. Um, and they brought the young man in alive. And they were not just a little comforted. Well, I suppose after this event, they heard that he was all right. I mean, I bet you they were all lit up like they had drinking 15 pots of coffee. Whoa, he's alive? Wow. Do you feel like sleeping? No. This is exciting stuff. A guy falls out of the window. He dies. He comes back to life. Then we come back upstairs. I'll bet you that was one communion service. 
demonstrating Jesus' power over the dead. Well, he was brought back in. They were comforted. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to uh, Melita, Meline. Um, real quick here. Um, Paul could have went on the boat, but he didn't. He decided to walk. That's weird. Why did he do that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because in walking, it's not real far, but his friends all took a boat, but he decided to just walk. Maybe he just wanted to spend some time alone with God. Um, maybe he thought maybe we all shouldn't be together in case something happens. But I'd rather think that Thanks just for that joining us on It's Time God. as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've all missed a program or would like to catch up, him, you can I do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.